0: So we have been in the book of Luke for some time now, and we're going to continue to be in the book of Luke for a little while longer. We've been in a sermon series called Faith on the Front Lines. And last week, Pastor John talked about how we, we live in this tension of Christ being king, yet his kingdom not being fully consummated, and how, it impo- how important it is to see the backdrop of our lives within this context of Christ's return so that the f- uh, foreground of our life could have proper context in how we live our everyday, And life could easily get out of context. We have these false expectations or misunderstandings and disappointments and springtime is a time of expectations. We expect things to happen. We've been hunkered down for so long and now we're ready to just leap out. And um, I have expectations of spring. One of those expectations was that we would knock down a wall in our house um, between our dining room and our kitchen and expand our dining room and kitchen and, and have this big table. And it would be a, a great, great time. We, we went to a contractor. He said, three-day job. And I'm excited. I know you're already laughing. And I uh, had these expectations. By, by, by Easter, we would have this big family gathering. And um, yeah, that immediately unraveled. And right now, um, I have no floor. I'm down to the subfloor. Paint, paint's gone. I do have a wall knocked out, but we're not even close to being finished. And what I realized is I have no peace right now. When I go home, I look around and I go, "What is going on here?" Because I had these expectations, these this this misunderstanding of what it was going to be like, which has resulted in no peace and. We have expectations or, or misplaced hope, which results in misunderstandings in our life as well. Peace seems to constantly elude us, and it's time for us to really put things back in their pro- proper context by putting Jesus back in his proper place in our lives. And as Christians, we need to recognize that Jesus, Jesus is the true king of peace, and proclaim it out loud. So the title of today's message is Peace Treaty. So again, we'll be in Luke 19. It's on the back of your bulletins. Give me, let me give you a little bit of context here. Um, Jesus is in the final stage of his journey to the cross. He stands on the outskirts of Jerusalem, getting set to enter into this hostile environment, ready to fully reveal who he is. At this point, he hasn't really fully revealed who he is. He's, he's, he's done miracles. He's done things. But he's, he's now, he's, he's coming out. He's saying, listen, this is who I am. I am the king of the universe. And he's getting set to walk into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a hotbed of political unrest. It's religious unrest. There's a lot of things going on in Jerusalem. And Jews had this expectation of this military savior. And that expectation was at a fever pitch. As a matter of fact, they had a certain class of people, the zealots, that were running around killing Roman soldiers. It was, it was a really rough place to be. And they had this expectation that a new David was coming, and David, this new David would come and crush the Romans. And in recent history, a couple hundred years prior, they remember the, what they call the Maccabean Revolt, where this guy Judas Maccabeus comes in and, and restores the, the, the Jewish dynasty in the area, and they remember that. And as a matter of fact, during this time, you have a bunch of... Kids named Judas and David because they're, you know, they're, they're remembering these things. There's these expectations. And it, it's gotten to the point where even prophetic scripture that was clear about the coming king was, was seen in this context, this military political context. And they had a different king and a different kingdom in mind. You see, they wanted peace, but peace for them. And it wasn't peace necessarily that was global or eternal. So today what I want to do is I want to reset our context to the type of King Jesus is and explore three aspects of his kingship. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We just pray, give us uh, understanding. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what you want to reveal to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is Jesus... Is the conquering king of peace. And we see that he is the conquering king of peace, the king of peace that is set apart for holy purposes. In verse 28, we read, after Jesus had said this, he went ahead going to Jerusalem. And it's interesting because Jerusalem, if you translate it, um, is is the city of peace, but it really wasn't the city of peace. At the time, 20, verse 29, as he approaches Bethphage and Beth, Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and you'll enter it and you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So he goes and he sends these disciples forward and he says, you're going to find this colt, this, this, this baby donkey, and it's never been ridden. Go, go ahead and do that. And it's kind of interesting that he would do this. Now, this is uh, to fulfill a prophecy that we read in Zechariah, but there was some significance here. The Jews regarded an animal that had never been ridden before, especially suited for holy purposes. So we see that Jesus is getting set. This is a statement. They know as he walks in, they understand what he's trying to say. He's set apart for holy purposes. We also see that he is the king of peace that is divine. So he goes and he tells these disciples in verse 31, go, go and, and, and get this colt. He says, if anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord needs of it. Verse 32, so those were sent ahead and they found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. And the owner asked, hey, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs of it. So they go and this guy's like, what are you doing? And they just say, the Lord needs of it. And the guy's like, okay. There's something supernatural that's happening here. So we see that Jesus not only is fully man, but he's fully God. He has this omniscience. He knows what's happening. He's engineered this. This is something within his scope, within his divinity. So he's the king of peace. He knows all things. And he knows what's going to happen. And this is part of his divine plan. We see that he's the king of peace who is honored. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, it being the the colt. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And went along, and people spread their cloaks on the road. So they, they put their cloak on it, they spread cloaks on the road as this donkey's on it. And we see that this has significant cultural implications. The act of putting cloaks on Jesus and spreading their cloaks on the ground was this recognition of his claim as king. It's, it's almost like in the movies where we see like, people you know, laying it out, and, and they're recognizing it who he is. They recognize that claim. But he's not only the king of peace, he's the conquering king of peace. He, he enters into a highly divided, anxious context and conquers through humility. He conquers through humility by the breaking of his body on a cross. He knows what's coming on. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what he has to take on. So we see that the king of peace enters the city of peace on an animal of peace. To bring forth eternal peace by becoming our peace. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus comes as the conquering king of peace. He comes in and he lives a perfect and righteous life. Because there's a separation between us and God. There's hostility there. Apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve the goodness of Jesus and God in in heaven. We do not deserve it. Yet God sends his son, Jesus Christ, the King, and lives a perfect and righteous life. He enters into this context of hostility towards him. And he's nailed to a cross. And he bores the wrath that we deserved. See, there was physical pain there, but there was more than physical pain. This is the first time that the sinless Son feels the weight of our sin, and the first time that the eternal Son, who's had an eternal relationship with the eternal Father, feels separation from the Father as He's pouring His wrath upon the Son for us. And He dies. But three days later, He's resurrected. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our sins are wiped away, but we also are given the righteousness of Christ. And the Father sees us, and he sees the righteousness of the Son. So Jesus brings that dividing wall. He breaks that dividing wall. He breaks it on the cross. But there's a horizontal implication for this as well, or implication towards others. Since Christ brings us peace, since he's done this, eternal peace, we should bring him praise by bringing the gospel of peace to a highly divided and anxious context. We we are surrounded by hostility and anxiety on our front lines. I mean, a few months ago, we talked about what, what is something you need prayer about. I remember when we did this during last summer, and the number one thing was, I'm anxious. And there's a reason for that anxiety. Because we live in a very anxious society, a very anxious world. We know things are not the way they should be. And we blow it all the time. I I, I had this contractor over, and I was talking with him, and he he was very passive-aggressive about some things. And I was livid! I was livid. I was upset. And I blew it. So, so how do we do this? How do we, how, do we, how do we become peace? How do we enter in and, and, and change everything? Well, we do it through humility and by having a non-anxious presence that only comes when we embrace the peace of Christ. When we in, embrace what Christ has actually done. He's given us eternal peace. We could rest in that. It doesn't change the circumstances. You see, the, the peace of Christ changes people, but it changes whole environments. It changes everything. When you enter into a situation and you walk in with a peace of Christ and you're that non-anxious present and you walk into there, like you don't even have to say a word. It just, it just flows out of you. The whole environment changes. And some of you are saying, yeah, I want that peace on my front line. I want it. I'm just waiting for someone to come and bring that peace. And that somebody is you. We need to stop waiting for someone. That somebody is you. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, you have the peace of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that has indwelt you. You're that person. So what does that look like? What does it look like for you this week to conquer your front line with the peace of Christ? What does that look like? It's not big things. It's just little things. So that's the first thing. Second thing. We see Jesus is the misunderstood king of peace. It's easily, you could easily be misunderstood in life. Um, I was on this innovation team for a while and we would go into these different places and it was interesting to see how people would approach us. Um, Some people we'd walk in, they'd be like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Other people we'd walk into these areas and it was like, oh, they're going to tell us what to do and they're going to change everything and I don't want anything changed and it was interesting to see how people's reactions were to this. And maybe you've had that experience, well, where people just totally misunderstand you. And we see that as Jesus enters into, into Jerusalem, he gets these different reactions. People have a total misunderstanding of who he is, or most of them do. We've already seen in verse 30 to 32 uh, genuine followers. We see that you know, he sends these people to go, you know, his disciples to go grab this, this donkey. And he doesn't really give them a lot of information. Yet they're obedient, even though they lack understanding of, of everything that's going on. They trust Jesus. They take him at his word. And their misunderstanding was more of a misunderstanding of, of revelation. Jesus didn't reveal necessarily everything of why he was doing that. But we read later on in John, the book of John 12, 16, that the, the disciples um, all of a sudden had like an aha moment. It says they really comprehended the significance of that moment later on. And that's many for us. That's our lives. We don't get where God is leading us or why we're going through something. But later on, we have that aha moment. So we see that um, they're not perfect, but they obey Jesus and they take him at his word. So we see those genuine followers. But then we see a whole host of other reactions to Jesus. We see religious spectators. Verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd and disciples begin joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Then we read in a parallel passage in John 12, 18. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So we see these people, they're genuinely excited, but they had a misunderstanding of Christ and the point of his miracles. They thought the miracles were all about their enjoyment instead of what they were really meant for was to, uh, for Christ's glory. They were looking for the next best thing, and they were easily swayed and fearful of the culture. We see later on that they're, they're whipped up and they totally turn on Christ. Because they had been drawn to the miracles and the next best thing. We see, though, the religious spectators. We also see the political and social activists. Verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Mark eleven twelve 12 says... They said, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. We see that they 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 expected this this David to come. They're they're proclaiming this David. And they they recognize him as the Messiah. That's the term with that they use with Hosanna. It's a a messianic title. We see that in Matthew 21:8, they cut palm branches and they spread it on the roads. And this was a cultural sign of military celebration in those days. That, that the conquering king was here. And they, mis, they misunderstood Jesus as merely this political and social reformer. They believed they, they were saved because they were Jews. The idea of, of being saved, they, they were Jews. They don't need to be saved. They're, they're children of Abraham. What they need is political and social reform. And this is what this guy is doing. He's coming in and he's bringing it. And Jesus does, in fact, change all of those things, but that's not his primary point. So we see, we see those. We also see the oblivious bystander. We get this from another parallel passage in Matthew, Matthew 21.10. It says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. There was all this stuff going on. And then you have some of us, some people there going, Who is this? They're just totally oblivious. They're misunderstood, they misunderstood the opportunity that was literally walking by them because they were caught in the busyness of Jerusalem. They were just so caught up in everyday life. They, they, they just Jerusalem's a big metropolitan city. They, 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 just, they have no clue what's happening because it's all about what's... They're living in the moment. They're living in the moment. And a a modern-day equivalent would probably be because they're going to and from all these places, probably like not even talking to the person in front of them, but just on their... Their 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 phones, their smartphones, or something like that. We can easily be, be get caught in the moment for sure. And finally, we see the hardened opposition. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. We read in John 12, 19. Just how anxious the Pharisees are. It says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us. Nowhere, Look, the whole world has gone after him. They misunderstood Jesus because they saw him as a threat. And a threat to their power and their influence. Their whole world was going to come crashing down because of Jesus. And so they willingly denied the clear signs of who he was. They were very, very versed in the scriptures. So I just want to stop here for a moment. And this is a tough question, but do you see yourself anywhere within in these people? or Do you identify with any of these people that misunderstand Jesus at all? And that's just something to maybe think about. Because we could easily get off track of who Jesus is in our lives. So how does Jesus respond to this when the Pharisees say, rebuke him? He says, verse forty. I tell you, he replied. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus is making it clear that it does not matter what they think; it only matters what he's revealed himself to be. He's the agent of creation, the king of of glory. And what he's telling them is, he's like, it doesn't matter what you think of me. I will get my glory. I'm the agent of creation. If they don't, if they don't cry out, the creation will cry out because I'm the creator. It doesn't matter. We have to to take Jesus at his word of who he's revealed himself to be in his word. So what does this mean for us? Well, people will have misunderstandings of Jesus. We just got to expect it. We just got to expect that people are going to have misunderstandings of Jesus. So the question for us is, will we be willing to be identified in the midst of these misunderstandings? Uh, there's a, a book by by uh, Bunyan, maybe some of you have read it, The Pilgrim's Progress, and there's a, there's a character in there, it's an allegory of the Christian life, and there's a character in there called Mr. Valiant for Truth. And Mr. Valiant for Truth is getting ready to take his journey to the celestial city, which represents death and Going into uh, the, the presence of Jesus. So valuing for truth. This is what he says as he as he departs. He says, Then he said to me, I'm going to my father's, and though there, and though with great difficulty I go hither, yet not I do not repent me of all the trouble I have been at to arrive where I where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in the pilgrimage, and my courage and skill to him that can get it. Listen to this. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles, who now will be my rewarder. The mark of the Christian life is filled with marks and scars. We read in Isaiah 53:5. He was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Wounds, marks, and scars for the sake of Christ are heavenly currency that bring about peace and yield an eternal reward. Jesus goes forward and shows that by his life, and we are called to that in the midst of misunderstanding about him. We'll stand before Jesus and we'll have the marks and scars, and the more marks and scars we have for the sake of peace and for the sake of Christ, the more we identify with him. So the question is, will you praise him by being misunderstood, bearing his reproach, receiving the marks and scars, all for the sake of peace on your front lines? This is a tough call. And I'm not giving you a prescription. I'm not prescribing how to do that. I'm saying, are you willing? It's a matter of the heart. Are you willing to bring peace into your front lines by bringing the peace of Christ and taking the wounds and the marks and the scars. Jesus knows what's coming as he enters into Jerusalem. The marks and scars are coming. He's going to be crushed. He knows it's coming. Are we willing to follow in that? Finally, Jesus is the king with non-negotiable terms for peace. Jesus doesn't negotiate with terrorists. You know, there's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping operations, military operations. One of the hardest military operations to do is peacemaking operations. See, peacekeeping is, there's already peace that exists, or somewhat peace, and you're just kind of trying to maintain the status quo. Peacemaking means there's a tyrannical reign, and you've got to go in there, be non-negotiable, and just make it happen. It's, it's very violent, because you have to go in there and make it happen. You cannot negotiate with that because there's already, there's already um, violence and evil prevailing. And so we see that Jesus does that. He's the king of peace who weeps, but who will not negotiate. Verse 41, as he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Verse 44, he finishes up with saying, you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. This is is a, a statement of judgment here. You see, Jesus weeps because while he comes in peace now, he'll come back in judgment when he returns. And he weeps because the same people that are cheering for him that are saying, yes, Hosanna in the highest, a few days later will say, crucify him. Crucify Him! And He knows that, and He's weeping. He weeps because He understands the urgency of the situation and the finality of their decision to reject Him. He knows it. As the King of Peace, He must uphold peace by judging evil. He has to judge evil because He cares about peace. Peace. You can't have peace with evil. Those do not coexist, no matter what the sticker says. They do not coexist. So the choice is you either accept his terms of peace through faith ratified in his blood secured by the resurrection, or you reject and accept the punishment you deserve. Those are the choices It's non-negotiable. And this is an urgent message, folks. People need to hear this. People need to hear this because they need peace. Peace isn't just saying flowery, fluffy things that make people feel good. It's telling them the truth. Giving them true peace. And we have that. We, are, we're carries. we, we carry that. Because the peace of Christ indwells us. So I want to encourage you Give people the peace of the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. And if you can't do that, you're like, I, I, I really struggle with that. Invite them. Invite them to Easter. We just saw the, the, the invitation. How hard is it? Hey, come to our Easter service. Here you go. Here's a, here's a card. Put them in a position where they'll, they'll, they'll hear the gospel and receive that peace. And maybe they're not there yet. Well, then why don't you invite them to your house and have dinner for Easter? Maybe you're having an Easter dinner. Just invite them. Show them what it looks like. Have them feel what the peace of Christ feels like, even if they don't understand it. Now, as I close, you are entering this week and you have some expectations of how this week's going to go. I don't know what those expectations are. But this time tomorrow, you'll be sent by God on your front line. And just as Pastor John's benediction said last, last week, this sending is not by accident or by surprise. Instead, this is an opportunity to bring forth the triumphal entry of your frontline Jerusalem. It is an opportunity to change everything and bring real peace by praising the King of Peace and heralding the gospel of peace. Expect this, it's going to happen. He's sending you somewhere, and He has sent you. Rejoice in knowing that you are an emissary of the King of Peace, and you offer peace, people this peace treaty. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be our peace. May we rejoice in peace. May we rejoice when the circumstances of our lives seem out of control. May we rejoice when we are confronted with evil, knowing that we have won and that peace will overcome evil for eternity, because you have overcome the grave. Give us peace, Lord. Send us out as peacemakers, as emissaries of you, our King of Peace. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name.